0: Follow your dream. Don't let anybody discourage you. Don't let anybody steal your dream and never give up. And if you have something, keep keep on keeping on. It's to always take some action. Don't just think about something. If you're running into a roadblock, take some action to get around it over it, under or through it somehow or other. But keep on moving forward and take some action with your creativity and keep at it. And eventually you will break through and don't Don't give up.
1: And now here is singer-songwriter, broadcaster, audio-video artist, entertainment agent, and your host. It's the master storyteller himself, James Kevin O'Connor. Hey, hey, it's springtime in the
2: USA. Are we feeling it? Are we feeling it, brothers and sisters? Time to wake up and enjoy this weather. Hey, before we get rolling on today's show, uh, don't forget to please forward this to a friend this episode. There'll be something in here that somebody you know will find very valuable. And today we've got something really special. We've got a songwriter for you, and we are going to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and we're going to find out all about this wonderful song called Rachel's Song which was written a while ago, but this man turned this into an entire traveling career because of the demand for this song. You better strap up your seatbelts because we're headed to Winston-Salem, North Carolina from the Music City to hang out and visit with Dave Combs. Yeah, well, listen, <clears throat> it's uh, wonderful to have Dave Combs today on podcasting your global career, and I'm really happy that uh, that we were able to get together, Dave. And being a, um, you know, a veteran uh, of many projects and and different things, both in Nashville and other places, I'm sure you've got an Amazon best-selling uh, book out there, touched by the music. 15 albums of instrumental piano music that you created with, uh, Gary Prim as the arranger and performer. And, um, you know, it seems like you've had a, 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 wonderful career going on here. And, uh, why don't you tell us about the story of performing, uh, Rachel's song in front of, uh, 26,000 people in St. Louis. Can you, uh, take us back to that time?
0: I would be delighted to, and it's a, it always excites me to tell tell about it because it was a <clears throat> probably a high watermark in my my musical performance career. Anyway, <clears throat> I had written a song called Rachel's song. And the story about that's all in the book and everything. But uh, I had written that in 1981, named it for our godchild in 1983, got it recorded in Nashville as a demo in 1986 with Gary Prim and then made a made wrote some more songs and created a, an album with the self-titled Rachel's song and Rachel's song got played on easy listening radio radio stations all over the country. And uh, that was back when we used to have such a thing. I don't think we have anything called easy listening anymore. <laughs> yeah, they morphed into something else. But back in the night, this is 1989. I was sitting at my desk uh, working for Western or AT&T at the time, and my music had been my side hustle. It was I was in the evenings and on weekends handling my music. And so my phone rang at the office. And on the other end of the line was this uh, man that said uh, he was the station manager, program director for for KEZK Radio in 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 St. Louis, Missouri. And I thought, well, okay, and he says, I wanted to call and tell you some good news, he said, uh, we we run a contest every year with our listeners and have them tell us of all the music we play on the station, which artists would you like for us to invite to come to St. Louis to do a concert? And so he said, Well, we ran the contest. And he said, Dave, you're one of the five winners. I said, really? (laughs) And he said, yeah, everybody here loves Rachel's song. And so you're one of the five. I said, Well, who are the other four? He said, Well, you you've probably heard of them. There's George Benson. There's uh, the Letterman. There's Don McLean and the Association and you. I thought, wow, (laughs) I'm in really good company here. And so, yeah, he said, we're going to fly you and your wife out here to to, uh, St. Louis, if you'll be willing to come and perform and we'll do a concert on a Saturday. It's a open air in a great big place called Booter Park. It's a outdoor venue. And he said, we're expecting over twenty five thousand people to show up and uh, we'll just have a great time on a Saturday and make some good music. I said, wow, this is amazing. So I went home, told my wife about that. And she got all excited, too. And to make a long story short, we flew out. They flew us out to St. Louis and they put us up in a hotel and we were in the same hotel with the letterman. So that morning at breakfast, we go down to the breakfast room. and Here's the letterman sitting there at the table. So we introduce ourselves and we got acquainted with the letterman. And uh, and that friendship has lasted for uh, the the last 30 some years we still keep in touch with the letterman they are a wonderful group but uh so i got to play on the stage my act my my segment was on first and so i got up there and played rachel's song and some more music and i couldn't believe you know the twenty six thousand people is a lot of people when you look out in the in the audience as far as the eye can. See was people (laughs) and they were all cheering and and all that. And so it was really wonderful. And uh, so I played Rachel's song standing ovation got a standing ovation. And uh, when I finished my segment of the, the show, the letterman came on and did their thing. And the radio station had set up a table down by the near the stage, an autograph table. And so I had my table for my music. And the table next to me was the letterman. So after I played and after the letterman played their part, I stood down there and signed autographs and had my picture made with my fans for four hours. And the letterman had the same thing. It was a beautiful, bright, sunny day. I got the worst sunburn I'd had in a long time because I forgot to wear a hat and sunscreen. But I couldn't believe this. Thousands of people had come just to hear me play Rachel's song what a, a humbling experience let me tell you to stand there and meet these wonderful people and see them the smiles on their faces when I got to shake hands with them and so forth but that was uh once in a lifetime I think kind of experience for me this this country boy from North Carolina and East Tennessee to get to play for twenty six thousand people was, was something else
2: I bet when you were uh, writing this song, when you had the impetus to to come up with this, you had no idea that this would be an eventuality, right? (laughs) Absolutely
0: (laughs) none. None whatsoever. I had no idea of what anything would happen with this song. It didn't even have a name when I wrote it. And it uh, only got its name from playing at our godchild's christening and named it after our godchild Rachel. And then... Then nothing happened to it for two or three more years till I got it recorded in Nashville as a demo by Gary Prim. And as you know, from being in the music business, sometimes songs that you write and you're involved with can take on a life of their own. Once you've got it out there and turn it loose to the creative souls in the studio, it's like magic happens and it's out of your control from that point.
2: Yeah. It's a more the merrier, you know? I mean, that's been my experience mm-hmm. on Music Row um, as, as an author and a writer and a singer, I just tend to get out of the way. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, just like, like observe and just don't speak until there's really something to speak about. Because, um, you know, when you're blessed to play with those kind of players that have, you know, these um, catalogs, emblazoned in their memories and and their dna it's just like you just take advantage and and just hang on for the ride because you don't know what's going to happen you know
0: that is exactly right i remember you know i've gone back to the studio since rachel's song and recorded over 170 songs with gary prim so we'd go about one one week a year and do a whole album and just spend a whole week in just rent the studio for the week and record an album and like you said that you go in there and all you start with is a piece of paper with some some notes and chords written on the piece of paper and you come out of there with an unbelievable recording yeah just magic
2: right now i want to just play the actual song uh that ties to this great story called rachel's song here's dave combs Dave, that was fabulous, unbelievable. And um, I had played it like right before this interview started. Um, I picked you up on YouTube and listened to it. And it's a a really heartwarming, uh, just really beautiful melody. And just, you know, it captures something really special, that song. And especially because you said you you wrote it for your goddaughter. Was that correct?
0: Yes. Named it for
2: our goddaughter. Yes. Yeah. it's, it's, It's just beautiful. Beautiful song.
0: And you know, James, the interesting thing to me is that when you compare Rachel's song with a lot of other music, it's a very simple, very simple song. As you can, being a musician, you know, it's just a, you know, a four chord song kind of thing. It's a, But it has a very simple melody. And I think one of the, the uh, artistry of Gary Prim is, is his gift of taking and just adding just the right amount of uh, strings or uh, accompaniment to it to not take away from the, the the piano accompaniment or the piano piece. It's a, it's a real gift, I think, to keep keep music beautiful but simple. Sometimes we, we try to overcomplicate things and over-engineer and over-orchestrate. But Gary's gift is, I remember sometimes we'd be in the studio with a new song and he'd record, of course, the piano part first, and then we'd go back in the, the control room and listen to it. And I can't tell you how many times we'd all, Ronnie Light, my engineer, and Gary and myself and Linda would sit there and say, that song, that doesn't need anything. Does not need one additional thing. Piano solo. That's it. So we don't try to over-engineer and over-complicate it. And uh, the simplicity of the music and let it reach into your soul is is the key to it, I think.
2: Yeah. Don't you find... Um... You know, I heard um, I guess it was uh I think it was Sting was talking about this. Um when when they were in the, the police were in the you know the throes of their huge success. Um he started talking about their process in the studio and they're a three piece band. Now this was after the first two or three albums where they started experimenting and he said, you know, they would they would add and keep adding and keep adding. Like all these different tracks and then of course you call it out and you start taking out and taking out and and all of a sudden most of what you put in ends up on the cutting room floor because you don't need it but it was an exercise in you know you may think fi- you may find that um whiter shade of pale organ soul you know you may find that one special thing that that came out that you didn't expect so you have to investigate and try everything but usually I always say the song tells you what to do. The song knows everything, you know? <laughs> <It's>
1: <laughs> That's a well put. My own. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about um now this led to your book, which you put out there. And what are you doing these days? Are you you constantly creating new music? Um, Dave? Are you um are you performing like any streaming things? Like what's your day look like these days?
0: Well, These days, it's primarily getting on podcasts like this and telling people about my music. I have, you know, a catalog of over 170 songs and 15 albums and my now my book. And so I'm really in the mode of trying to uh, publicize what I already have. You know, at at some point, if you're an artist um, cutting new records or whatever, I think you become your own competition after a while. You know, nobody's going to buy 15 albums, hardly of um, this one artist, but and some people do, of course. But uh, after a while, you become your own competition. But um, my my day has been spent uh, in the last year and a half or so basically getting on podcasts like this and talking about the stories behind the music. And I think that's the inspirational stories of how I wrote, wrote Rachel's song, how I've took it to the market basically in a very unique way by selling it only through gift shops as opposed to the big box stores and that kind of thing. And those are primarily inspirational stories that apply to any entrepreneur of any kind of business. It doesn't matter whether it's music or whatever it is that you're trying to create. So I I spend some time uh, telling my stories to hopefully inspire people to find their own gifts. And hopefully along the way, they'll discover some of my music and, and include that in their playlist as well. But uh, I'm really just kind of spreading the word around the world. And now now that we're on podcast, this can be viewed halfway around the world just as easily as next door
2: all so- the way around the world. All
0: the way. Yeah, that's right. We're even
2: downloaded in Iceland and Vietnam, if you can believe it. So I have people that do follow the show there. (laughs) You know, this this idea of the gift shop is really cool, though. I mean, you found a a niche market that, um, you know, perhaps your audience is there. I mean, you never know where your audience is, but uh, I think you're doing it right by the podcast being, um, you know, it's kind of going mainstream now, the podcast, but a, a wonderful system to get to people. But the gift shops, how did you come up with that? Was that by accident or you just you come, came up with that as a target market?
0: Well, like all uh, budding musicians, songwriters, when you write something and get it recorded, of course, you're enamored with it. You, you think it's the greatest thing you've ever heard. And and you're full of enthusiasm and, and trying to get it heard by as many people as possible. And initially, I thought, wow, these... Uh, record stores back then we had I think it was a record bar and what was the other there were some big big box record stores uh, around the country that that's where you went to buy your music back then it was largely vinyl and and uh and CDs as well so I approached some of those stores with my music because I had gotten great feedback from the radio I play that was not a problem I had heard from over 50,000 people on the radio wire play about my music and how they loved it. So I thought with that in my hip pocket, I'd walk into these big box places and they'll just be uh, reading me with open arms. Come on in, Dave. We've been waiting for you to come in here <laughs> so we can sell your music. Well, I was in for a rude awakening that uh, these big stores were not interested in my music. They never heard of me. I wasn't a big name. I wasn't on the touring circuit and on the TV all the time or whatever. So they were not interested at all. So I was very discouraged. I had no idea what I was going to do, but I knew I wasn't going to give up because the fans were telling me they love the music and they wanted it. So I said, I've got to figure out how I can get it to these people. Well, it just so happens that I was working in AT&T in Bethesda, Maryland. And the, the lady whose office was right next to mine. Had a friend who owned a gift shop in Old Town, Alexandria. Now, if you've been to Washington, D.C., Old Town, Alexandria, you know, it's a big tourist area. Yeah. Well, the name of this shop that she had was called America. This shop sold anything red, white and blue. It was all Americana. And she played over her sound system, patriotic music, you know, John Philip Souza and all the, the patriotic songs. Well. She had a wonderful sound system. And my friend said, I want to give my friend a copy of your CD of Rachel's song so that she could play it in her in her shop. I said, OK, so I gave her a CD, didn't think much about it. A couple of days later, my phone rings and it's this lady on the other end says, Hi, this is Jane. I'm the owner of America, the gift shop, and I've been playing your music, Rachel's song, and I've got a real problem. I said, What's that? She said, Every time I play Rachel's song in my store, all the customers in there come over to the counter and say, What is that music you're playing? I want to take that home with me. And she says, I don't have any to sell. Can we solve this problem? I said, Well, I think we certainly can do that. So we reached an agreement on the wholesale price. I'd never even sold any at wholesale before. I just I didn't know what the even the differential was. So we reached an agreement on the wholesale price. And she says, Can you bring me some tonight? I said, why, certainly. So Linda and I boxed up a box of cassette tapes that time and CDs and took them down to Old Town Alexandria that night, gave them to her. Well, wow, this is going to be an interesting experiment. And so. A couple of days later, my phone rings again, and it was Jane. And she says, Dave, <laughs> I got another problem. Those are all gone. I need some more. Can you double the order and bring them to me again tonight? So we did. We boxed them up that night, took them down there. And Linda and I made that trip to Old Town, Alexandria every week for over a year. She sold thousands of tapes and CDs out of that one little gift shop. And now I'm ai have my MBA at Wake Forest University, so I'm a business person. I know how to do spreadsheets and, uh, you know, profit and loss statements. And so I did a I did a spreadsheet model of just that one gift shop. I created a little column that said how many tapes and CDs I had sold to her, how much they cost me, how much she paid me and all that. Did the arithmetic and down at the bottom was my, my gross profit for that one little gift shop. And it was a pretty interesting number. And so I thought, well, what if there were one gift shop like this in all 50 states? Just one. So make another column in your spreadsheet column one times 50. Well, the bottom line number of that, well, that's looking like an interesting number. I said, okay, Linda, I'm gonna do one other thing here. Let's not get greedy, but let's say we had five gift shops in every state, just 250 gift shops in the whole country. So column three is 250 times column one. I said, Linda, come here. You gotta see this number down at the bottom here. I said, this is three times what I'm making at AT&T. So you know what happened there? The light bulb went off and I said, okay, you know what we got to do? We got to find these other 249 gift shops around the country. So we got busy and and lo and behold, we were able to find gift shops like hers all around the country and uh, ended up with over a thousand gift shops all over the whole United States. And along that trip is when I was able to quit my job at and in 1992 and do nothing but my music full-time.
2: Fabulous. What a story. That is unbelievable. And that should be a lesson to all you music entrepreneurs out there. Find your audience and get creative like Dave. Dave, uh, as we're wrapping up, um, I wanted to thank you so much for, for being on podcasting your global career. And do you have any last words that you'd like to say to any budding entrepreneurs slash musician songwriters, especially since that's your wheelhouse.
0: I would certainly like to just simply say, follow your dream, don't let anybody discourage you, don't let anybody steal your dream and never give up. And if you have something, keep, keep on keeping on. It's always take some action. Don't just think about something. If you're running into a roadblock, Take some action to get around it over it, under it or through it somehow or other. But keep on moving forward and take some action with your creativity and keep at it. And eventually, you will break through and don't, don't give up.
2: Awesome. Sage Advice, Dave Combs, it was an honor and a privilege. Thank you for being a part of podcasting your global career. And I just want to wish all of God's blessings on you, your family, and your career moving forward. Thank you, James. It's been a pleasure. Hey, if you guys like what's going on here, please leave a great review in the Apple Podcasts. I've left a simple review process in the show notes, and we'd really appreciate it. And also, don't be shy. Forward this to your best friend because you know they need it. Hey, if you need some coaching, hit up the link in the show notes. It's calendly.com forward slash dharmic and you can take a little chance with me, and I'll get you on your way. That's a wrap for me today. I'm your host, James Kevin O'Connor. So until the next time, when we meet again, I'll either see you on the socials, or I'll see you from the stage.
1: stuff